Welcome back to the Seriously Stem Cells podcast, where we discuss everything stem cells. I am Pim. And I'm Ayo. On today's episode, we are going to continue our exploration into the world of stem cells. In this episode, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence or AI. You might have heard a bit about it in the news recently as the EU making a decision about regulatory laws for AI. Um, Or maybe you've heard of ChatGPT, which is a model where it generates detailed response to questions or prompts. Um, Recently, I've been hearing about students using ChatGPT to help with assignments. Um, Turnitin does recognise that, so not a great idea. Um, (laughs) But we're having a lot more interaction with the idea of AI. It's no longer science fiction. Um, I was recently reading an article um, in The Guardian written by Josh Taylor, um, and it's a response by Eugen Schmelhuber, the father of AI, um, to the growing concerns around AI and whether it's time to sort of put the brakes on for the advancements that we're seeing in the field, um, what they're calling an AI arms race across governments and companies and universities. Um, And he said, but I think that you shouldn't stop it referring to innovation in AI, because in 95% of all cases, AI research is really about our old motto, which is make man live longer and healthier and easier. Um, And today in this episode, we're going to be exploring the way a company is trying to combine AI and cell and gene therapy to make humans live longer, healthier, and hopefully easier. That's really cool, I think. Um, yeah, that's that's a great segue, by the way. <laughs> I know last week uh, we've had uh, just a great discussion with Dia, and sometimes, you know, it's difficult to get into, like, a segue or find a segue that's amazing but this this is what other good one will put it up finally this. got it finally got it him <laughs> honestly uh well i i enjoy that i didn't know about that so that was really cool um i i i think i shared the same sentiment that ai is here to stay for the long run obviously it's not something completely new but i think ever since chat gbt has made it um to the public I think people have actually understand the applications that it has more. And I think today we literally just picked up um, this uh, company that uh, we've had uh, looked at last week. It's called Selino and it's founded by Nabiha Sak Lion. Apologies if I pronounce that wrong. Uh, but she's a female CEO. Honestly, it's really cool. I don't think I've seen a lot of female CEOs in the biotech space, uh, let alone a startup. Uh, so this is really interesting. Basically, her company um, has a patented invention of cellular laser editing. And that's a technology that she's worked through her Harvard degree uh, in physics. So she's a PhD um, graduate basically and I think one of the things that she said about um, this company is that the purpose is basically to make stem cells on its system which then 
addresses areas of different um, personalized cell therapies, but specifically to do with retinal diseases. And she's hoping to expand the therapeutic areas into other diseases like Parkinson's, muscle disorders, skin grafts, and you know other sort of diseases areas. So I think that it is quite interesting how she chooses to focus on personalized medicine. That means autologous therapies for the time being. But there is a certain, I think, intention in the company to shift over to off-the-shelf um, therapies like allogeneic, which will probably work for certain parts of the population. Um, but but that's that's a good sign. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's nice to see an example of combining sort of computer science with biological sciences and to see what that actually looks like. Uh, it's not just sort of like sci-fi. Yes. Um, yeah. Definitely, because I think, okay, so we've been talking a lot about the manufacturing challenges over the past couple of episodes with a few different people. Um, and I think by understanding what the company does, they're actually trying to address this um, issue head on. Um, so what the technology in- entails is basically one of the things is right now the iPSCs or induced pluripotent stem cells, which are like the base cell that has been used to make uh, the specific type of cells that you would need, right? And right now, um, the methods uh, clinicians are using is all manual. So they're all doing this by hand in the lab by themselves. So making, um, scaling up this sort of process is very, very difficult. Therefore, this company comes in and basically said, look, we want to develop a process so that you can make a high quality classification of the cells you need um, from the iPSC cells that you need. And on top of having, obviously, the other testing system um, for quality control, like karyotyping or characterization of the cell. So they're not eliminating any cell assay steps in the way they're just adding on the automation of any manual process that um, usually takes place in the lab so uh, what they do is basically they taking images of cells that are grown in the growth medium and they basically um, annotate it and then they use a neural networking sort of um, software is based on that so based on the machine learning which is whatever inputs that they want. So they want a particular type of cells that looks a particular type of way with particular characteristics, basically classifying that from the images that they have. And then in that way, they have this sorting mechanism that allows them to pick out the cells that they need. And by doing that, they also, you know, reduces the time that it would take a manual process. For example, it could take weeks or like all months for like uh, clinicians to get through maybe a thousand images. It might take an AI less than a week or a couple hours or a couple of days. So um, it, it's a, it's quite interesting to see how it impacts so much on this um, process. And then after they've identified the cluster of cells that they want, they use the lesser precision system, which the CEO developed during her um, PhD to remove any of the cells that they don't want and hence, you know, producing the product and then using those cells that are selected for other parts of the um, uh, the technology. You know, it would be 
a great thing to know how this actually works with the tea. <laughs> like I'm not a physicist, so I don't know any how it actually works, but this is probably how it works. Um if you were to explain to investors or whatever. Yeah, one thing I really like from the process as well is that because it's becoming more automated, then you remove some of the human error that comes from maybe just having a bad day or being distracted when it comes to the selection process of the colonies, the groups of cells that you want to keep that pass or the ones that you want to you know, get rid of because they don't meet the standard or the criteria that we're looking for. Um, also, the fact that they're using imaging, um, this new imaging technique means that they don't have to use fluorescent tags or surface markers that can be toxic. Um, so it actually becomes more ideal. So yeah, it, it's a better way of doing things, hopefully. I think that's that's another good point as well, because ever since I think during my undergraduate, I remember that we have to use like those um, protein tags that are like I don't know if you worked with like the green ones and the red ones. So I never really. Yeah, I think it's yeah. I did that for a decision, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It just bring me back to those times where oh, I didn't actually realize that they can be quite toxic, especially for stem cells that you need them to survive after the you know the process of identifying them. Some other cell types, I guess, or in some other experiments, maybe that's not essential. But for stem cells, it is. So. Yeah. No, it's really, really exciting. Yeah. So, there's. Did you talk a bit about the being able to track the colony and the location and things like the density, the number, the proliferation rate? It's like you have your own. Um, you need to know where each colony comes from. Yeah. And so, in the imaging system, you can like track the origin of each cell, which is pretty cool as well. So yeah. that way, it's really scalable, and it's still as um, it's still keeping up to standard and is secure. Yeah. I think that's um, that's actually one of the things that is very interesting to see in how it can be applied for this type of lab work because the algorithm is basically produced and used like in service of being able to like enhance the process of making stem cells or making the stem cells into the cell types that we need. A lot of times, the lab scientists have to work with um the software developers who develop these sort of image-guided um, software, particularly for this type of cell that they're looking at. I think that's um, one of the things that the CEO talked about was there's a lot of cross-communications and they, they really, really emphasize on how algorithms need to serve the practical purposes of replacing these sort of tedious lab work. So I think that kind of opens up like a really like i guess a discussion like well you really need to communicate even in like this not just between scientists in the science community but with like the technology community especially the ones who need to know what you want out of you know the process which part of the process you want automated because that might not be you know the same for different types of therapies or technology yeah totally it also made me think about um what we learn so we both did uh, life sciences degrees Mm. um is it beneficial for people doing life sciences degrees to do computer science courses so you're better able to have those conversations that's true right how are you when you're relaying information are we understanding each other and is that going to help us be effective in producing a 
good product for people. Yeah, I think that's quite a good idea to um, think about. I actually know a lot of my friends who are um, pursuing sort of computer science and this sort of um, avenue a little bit more even after getting a whatever degree they had in undergrad. But it's good to think about maybe integrating that or having some sort of course that exists already within your undergraduate degree. So that that would be quite interesting because now now it's just, you know, like after my master's, I just have to do it externally, like by myself during, you know, going on Coursera, taking those uh, <laughs> deep learning and like machine learning courses, which can be quite time consuming, which I hope I had learned before. But obviously I didn't know it was going to, you know, become this big. But yeah, you brought up a good point. <laughs> It's really me thinking about myself, like, do I now need to go do a computer science course? <laughs> I can't, I can't. I'm going to be honest, I can't. Um, yeah. But another question that was raised, um, it's a YouTube video, by the way, we'll let you know, it's called AI and Regenerative Medicine, AI-enabled manufacturing of stem cell-based therapies, if you want to go and have a listen. Um, but one of the questions that was posed in that video was about the... Uh, demographics um, from which the samples were taken to make the induced prepotent stem cells. Um, so I think from a lot of previous work in the area, it's been taken from a specific demographic. But the more varied the demographics are, the better um, we know whether race or ethnicity affects how these cells behave. For example, we already know that age greatly affects how these stem cells will perform. So it's really interesting in this company, they have quite a varied background. So it's helpful to see whether that produces a difference or it's all the same, but it's good to know these things. I think they're, they're being quite like a pioneer in terms of getting all of these sort of discussion happening around like stem cell therapies and AI together. Um, I think sometimes it can be difficult to see how a complex system like an AI or what I would say like a maybe foreign sort of like idea to somebody who didn't like learn about it like straight out of uni or straight out of courses and stuff so I think it's um yeah there's a certain sort of information I guess you have to give to um scientists as well just in the process of like oh maybe there's something that they need to know like technical terms I think that's sort of something that could be of like a hindrance when it comes to collaboration, the technology team and like different people. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like <laughs> you would be able to speak the same language essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that could be quite, but yeah. I I also didn't realize that um, deep learning algorithms can be used um, in reverse as well. So sometimes there's like a set of lists that clinicians look at from cells, what we've mentioned before with um, the cell, maybe characteristics, maybe the shape, right? Or maybe the numbers of them. But these deep learning algorithms can also pick up on stuff that clinicians didn't originally look at, something like the distance between the neighboring colonies. I couldn't find any papers on iPSCs, but I know that in like a normal wet lab, there was one that looked at um, embryonic stem cells. And the fact that if you know the distance between different colonies, then you would know when um, the cells would differentiate in each colonies. So that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. 
I would say. But, you know, that goes on point about how sometimes AI could not only serve the practical purposes that we wanted to do initially, but also to look at the other factors that maybe in the lab we haven't looked at. So they could identify things we didn't even think about that could become useful, basically. That's interesting. So AI is not just about speeding up the process of things we currently can do, Mm. but it might open up things that we haven't explored yet as well. Yeah, definitely. I think by doing this, though, just to come back a little bit on the manufacturing process, I do think that being able to integrate it in and help speeding things up would eventually lead to reducing in like the overall cost of the treatment of the stem cells itself. And, and I think right now the price point is about 2 million on average, maybe for like the general autologous stem cells therapies out there. And yeah, that's super affordable. Super. Yeah, yeah. Technically affordable if you're a billionaire or exactly. a trillionaire, a zillionaire. Sure, sure. But for the rest of us, we just, yeah. So, so that's the thing. I, I really like they were mentioning the fact, well, hopefully, like any other technology, really, automating the process will eventually reduce down these price points to something more affordable, maybe in the tens, thousands, hundreds in the best case. Yeah, I think they would also talk. Well, you know you have the sustainability goals and they're talking about how that fulfills one of the sustainability goals of it being accessible to loads of different people being globally accessible so um that links to cost really that's really important Mm. Um, and that links to what Pim was saying as well about if it's being automated then we're not relying on highly skilled um scientists to spend hours and hours of their time on one um one data set but now you can have multiple data sets at the same time Uh, and then also if you're having stem cells from a large um array of ethnicities and backgrounds and ages um and both male and female then it's also something that's going to represent the different people across the the world and it can be treatment that's for everyone. Yeah. So it also hits the sustainability goals if we're taking incorporating uh, AI into manufacturing. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's one of the things that um, a lot of companies, especially biotechs nowadays, are beginning to look at. They are startup. They have this um, vision already how their technology can also, you know, serves a bigger purpose, reaching sustainability goals. And it's quite inspiring to really hear this because we were talking with um, Professor Dusko just a few weeks before about how sustainability might not have a place in healthcare just yet. And it seems like it is happening. People are trying to come up with new ideas. So I think it's about basically being open to the new innovations that could definitely serve different purposes, you know, not not just for the sake of being an innovative technology, but also to be able to cater towards the larger social issues. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Also, I saw an image of what uh, they expected the data sets how they saw the data sets mm. and they're using like a server room what you think of an like, IT setup which I thought was just funny <laughs> because it's just interesting how it's just building up it's building off of what we already have and that also links back to the whole sustainability thing it's using what we have instead of create something completely novel yeah I do I, I do agree with that I also thought when you were saying about the inequalities as well like that's one of the main issues with uh, any sort of healthcare treatments really around the world and it's good to see that there's like a biotech out there that is thinking 
very intentionally about how they could have a role in reducing these inequalities. And yeah, I, I think overall, it's no joke. You know, it's a very, I don't know if I've ever seen any like biotechs like this. I feel like we talked a lot about how amazing the prospect with AI could be for cell therapies. But recently as well, there have been quite a few people questioning whether AI in general, uh, the the advancements that we're seeing, whether it's totally a good thing and whether we need to be more cautious. Mm. Um, So what do you generally think about innovation when it comes to AI, even in stem cells? Uh, I would say that there are still limitations. I think like the most practical one that I can think of is maybe communicating how those AI actually work, problems that could rise from um, the AI, you know, being integrated into different systems. But limitations might include like those experimental data when you save it those data in like a cloud or a data bank uh it's not that cheap i don't think it's free (laughs) i don't necessarily think those um software and things are well no wonder people are making a lot of money in tech but i think that the fact that it remains quite expensive in certain areas makes it even more difficult to be accessible to a certain degree so i think that is also a question of whether is this just another fresh new thing that is that is expensive? It's just like a flashy new expensive technology, or is it just? In it, I'm not. I'm not talking about all parts of industry. Obviously, ChatGPT is free, but I'm <laughs> talking. Obviously, they have an upgrade, and there's also different types of you know services. Uh, I was on like a webinar last week about Metcoms, and they actually said that some people have subscribed to like um, AI writing tool. So it's like an AI assisted writing. And those things, it's not as if like um, the technology doesn't cost anything. You still need to subscribe. You still need to pay for their services. So I think that's one of the the things you need to use your best judgment to see if it's something that you you want. The second thing is that um, I think it might, as much as it saves time, um, if you don't narrow down what the AI is supposed to be used for, I think it can be too broad for some applications. Do you know what I mean? And this is where I think one of the things I wanted to talk about is the lack of uh, skilled workers in this area. You know, because as much as the technology emerges, you need people who understand the technology just as much so they could know how to integrate two different components, you know, maybe healthcare and AI, especially in stem cells and AI. You need people who understands both as well so that could be another challenge i think in this space i'm rambling a bit but <laughs> no, i feel like you summed it up like that was really it's like yeah that that's true i i think i think you're right as well i remember when what's his name new link the jordan the is it the german sorry if i get this wrong so the german he's one. from south africa the he, new link i just thought about elon that. musk all right okay yeah. right elon yeah. musk. <laughs> Um, I was thinking of Elon Musk's company, um, Neuralink. I remember when he first made that company, I was thinking, um, I actually went to go look at the jobs available, bearing in mind I hadn't created yet, so I I was thinking, but I think he did like five years experience or something, that was not me, but it was interesting to see the kind of people they were hiring, because Neuralink is also that sort of interface between uh, biology and sort of uh, and tech as well. Um, right. But it's interesting to find those people that have that crossover. I think that's quite a small pool of people. Um, yeah. So maybe as the field expands and um, more people are interested in it, we'll see more of that crossover. But I agree at the moment, I think there are not as many people who are well-versed in both. 
Yeah, it just made me think of that video with the monkey. Is that the one? Because immediately I was like, "Oh wait, Neuralink." That's a that's a um the monkey that's gone through the experiment, right? That Elon put the monkey through like a like he had this machine on like the monkey's head with chimpanzee, right? And he was like taking it to basically making the chimpanzee do different tasks and then like yeah. basically take the images of the neural link or sort of like the wow i might not explain this very well but you know you <laughs> have to do anyone who knows what i'm talking about the the video is on youtube isn't it yes i yes. just searched this up apparently the monkey died in the project Oof real yeah apparently he denies animal cruelty this is completely different this is um <laughs> if oh, you're interested God. this is not that business i'm not, um, I'm not laughing because it's funny i'm laughing because it's it's just bad it's, it's, it's the shock that's pretty bad oh god okay um Ugh. but yeah uh, that's not the point though i just pulled yeah. up the article um but yeah apparently you had the monkey like playing video games and doing different activities mm. yeah all right that's cool okay um yeah that i think that's uh that's a segue to the end of the episode today i think the monkey thing really just tanked that conversation (laughs) (laughs) i think we both need to go and recover (laughs) oh gosh i love that i love that we just yeah that's that's honey um okay right but before we go we wanted to say that this is part one of the two so we're going to release a second part of this um, conversation because AI is so big and um, hopefully we'll come up with some new topics to talk about. Uh, and we really encourage anyone who's listening to um, send us an email or just, you know, DM us through Insta uh, on the uh, podcast um, Instagram just to give us any ideas if you wanted us to cover a specific topic or you just want to say, say hi, you know, you don't even <laughs> say much, but we really, really appreciate all of you who are listening. Yeah. Totally, totally. We're always down for chat and <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. But before we go, we were thinking, Pim came up with this idea that we should ask, get to know you questions to each other. So yes. we feel each other a bit better. Yeah. So the question for this episode is going to be books that we're currently reading. Yeah, I will go first. Uh, (laughs) I just have been obsessed with this book for the past week and it's the quickest I've actually finished any book this year. So um, I would recommend it to anyone who likes, um, I think her name is Sally Rooney. Uh, So she wrote it. Uh, a couple of books um, that's been made into a mini series, like um, what is it called? Normal People and like Beautiful World, Where Are You? So those are the title of the books in the series. So the one that I'm reading right now, I think if anyone's a fan of those types of books would love as well. Uh, so it's called Not Exactly What I Had in Mind by Kate Brooke. Um, it's very very interesting because it's just about um, you know flatmates and friendship and basically the sort of sort of intermingle relationships that you have with um, different peoples in your life at like a very I guess like a 
late 20s in your late 20s um which is i guess is quite interesting to me because i'm in my early 20s and i wonder you know what life is going to look like in a couple years and it's, it's quite an interesting relatable story as well um because it concerns like the modern life so right now you know with all the issues that we have about you know the world the, like all the stress that we might bear because of you know things that goes on the news you know in terms of the environment or even the economic situation or even just being able to cope with everyday life so um yeah i would encourage anyone who's looking for like a little escape to uh read this book it's a very lightly uh read god can i even speak today <laughs> a light read uh but yeah i think i think you'll enjoy it it's about 300 pages so it's not that bad mm. sounds really good mm. right you go now that's your turn right okay so i have a few because obviously i'm reading multiple books at the same time um so my friends <laughs> gave, my friend gave me a book called believe in me by suzanne lewis which is really nice it's been like a really easy read um not too complicated and then it's kind of like it's about a family and it's really really interesting um and then i've also been rereading center sensibility oh I, i've watched the the adaptations and now i'm reading the book um <laughs> yeah i am a jane austen fan and then <laughs> to do something that's a bit more medical um i also got gifted a book called unwell women which i'm reading and it's talking about uh how women have been treated throughout history in medicine and how that's affected the treatment they've received so it's really interesting to see you know how healthcare has evolved um and how we've gotten to the place we are at now yeah i think that's really interesting because um there's quite a bias i think uh, as you've mentioned before when we spoke about this book that uh, exists for women in healthcare i think it might come from maybe just i don't know why but it made me think of another book that uh, has a similar sort of premise but it's to do with sports or like equipments that are made so like i didn't even know this but um i was told by somebody that the bicycles that we ride it's the you know the part where you have to sit on it so that part uh is made according to like a male's physique or like those sort of equip yeah, yeah. i know it's like those yeah. sort of things are made um in according to um, a male's anatomy and physique and how they basically would use in sports and so like i think that's one of the interesting things that you don't realize a lot of inventions that have been made are not um uh tailored towards women might be because there weren't any women in the room during the time they were making and they're like Oi, can you get on this thing so we can model this new thing? So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just makes you think. Uh, we've talked a lot about um, different innovations on this podcast, and maybe we'll create something someday, or someone we know will create something really cool. But it's just to think of other people when, when you're creating. Mm. Um, sometimes you can get so tunnel visioned and then forget that, oh, everyone's going to use this so yeah yeah and i think it's only 
sort of applies after a certain age as well because you wouldn't say the same about babies right <laughs> when you think about it there's not like a specific tool that's made for baby girl or baby boy or you know what i mean so like after a certain point when some of the equipments are kind of maybe needing both genders to like you know be a, a testing or like a model for the equipments that that's that's another interesting thing i just thought i just thought of babies for some reason but ignore me <laughs> this part of the conversation is not relevant but yeah mm. all right yeah. I'll have to see if I finish those books anytime soon so I can't get distracted. Um, do you have your next book in sight, Pim? Yes, let me bring that up right now. Ooh. So the reason I do is because Waterstone has this like buy two for one. And obviously I got um, dragged into this ordeal just by myself obviously i just um, i can't see like a sale on and not go in uh <laughs> but it's a basically a sci-fi um book it's called sea of tranquility uh, by emily st john mandel um it's basically just about i think space and time um and how a person an english person who is trapped living in um far from home and there's like a a journey of a different girl who's died too young but had a glimpse of the world um in like a different time so this is a bit more like um i think time traveling type of novel uh but yeah it's like a sci-fi book with like a good message in the end it's not very thick so i'll probably try to get through it pretty quickly you guys can't see the cover but it's like the pages are blue and it's it's a really nice book and like, yeah it's they did a good job yeah right but that's it for me though with the books and stuff yeah well we hope you've enjoyed the discussion so far with ai and cell and gene therapy and we'll come back to you with part two yes we'll see you guys next week for part two have a great week bye guys bye Make sure to join us in our next episode and check out our blog post at seriouslystemcells.wordpress.com forward slash as we continue our exploration of stem cells. But for now, from me, Pim. And from me, Ayo. Have a lovely day and don't forget to take stem cells very seriously. <laughs>